Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. This morning our call to confession comes from Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. In our circle, this proverb includes a common principle, which I believe most of us recognize the importance of and embrace it for ourselves and in our own households. But because of the general philosophy that which we face in our times, and we see that being totally antithetical to this kind of discipline, where the rod is actually a loving way to uh, discipline our children, there are several things here which bear repeating again. Discipline, rightly understood, is a form of wisdom. So if not imparting wisdom, if it, so if it's not imparting wisdom, then it isn't discipline. And discipline is painful, but not everything that's painful is necessarily discipline. And additionally, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline is about correction and training. Punishment is about retribution. The Bible teaches us that parents are to discipline their children and not punish them. Hebrews defines discipline as yielding fruit. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline has the harvest in end view. Correction is only needed when someone has messed up. The Bible tells us how the correction is to be brought and delivered. This is Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So there's a warning there for the parents as well. When it comes to the discipline of our children, when you are highly motivated to discipline, you are, according to this passage, not qualified to do so. And when you are qualified to discipline, you probably don't really feel motivated to. This means that your discipline must be calm and principled, yet timely. And don't fool yourself by thinking that you are not qualified to discipline with a rod because of your own sins in years past. Discipline is about restoring fellowship, restoring fellowship with God and restoring fellowship in the family. Discipline seeks to address the disruption in order to undo the effects of it. There are two ways that this restoration of fellowship can go wrong. First of all, it can begin if there's no fellowship to begin with. If there's no fellowship there, then it's hard to restore that. So you need to keep that in mind in the, just the daily going about. Secondly, and this goes with the previous admonition to be calm and principled, if we discipline in anger, then it simply adds to the disruption in fellowship in the home. So like I said earlier, discipline is a form of correction. And in this way, it pleases God. The last verse of today's proverb emphasizes the life-giving effect that proper discipline has. Quote, you will save his soul from Sheol, or from hell. This is loving your children, training them, and protecting them. Hebrews 12 emphasizes the love which proper discipline demonstrates. For God, I'm sorry, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and chastises his every son whom he receives. Unloved and undisciplined children disobey speed limits, drug laws, gun laws, and police authority. They flaunt anger, envy, and pride, which can cause fatal conflict. And some jobs are dead end because an untrained child will not, will not obey authority, get along with others, or pursue a transferable skill. And some marriages are dead because childish pride and selfishness destroy the union that's been designed for peace and for pleasure. A soul can practically die from the pain and trouble caused by his own foolishness. Spanking should sting, but never damage. Spankings can, quote, fail in two ways. One is when you clobber the child and he learns to flinch and pull back every time you reach to just scratch your cheek. This, is kind, of, this kind of thing is just simply abuse. The other kind of failure is when you deliver the occasional and very inconsistent walk to a padded behind. Proper discipline should be felt and the child should know that you mean business. A little pain can be constructive. If you've ever received a traffic ticket, don't you monitor your own driving speed much closer while that sting still remains? Even the fear of pain can be constructive. We see that disciplining children is the common life in microcosm. I'm sorry, is the common Christian life in microcosm. It's not some secular pursuit detaching itself from issues like sin and forgiveness, gospel and redemption. Child discipline is all about Jesus. We are nurturing souls after all. We're not training puppies. Being a parent is a very, very high calling. Whether you are currently in the flow of it, looking to the future, or looking at it from the rearview mirror, we should all recognize our human frailties in practicing loving, godly discipline. It should drive us to our knees, asking God for his grace and wisdom in the discipline which we apply, and even have already applied, that it will be fruitful for God's kingdom. We should be ready to ask forgiveness when we know we have sinned in discipline. And children, you can gain wisdom quickly when you are disciplined by your parents if you acknowledge that you did wrong and you ask for forgiveness. Then put yourself quickly to do the work, to put yourself in the right direction by doing what you've been asked to do, doing it happily, quickly, and thoroughly, or all the way. If you would, please kneel where you are as we confess our sins to God. So we are still in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12 for the third Sunday in a row. And one of the advantages of moving slowly through the Beatitudes is that I get to introduce them multiple times. And this is an advantage because there's so much to get out of these ten short verses. This morning let's make, take a moment and see the import of how Jesus' sermon begins with blessing. The Beatitudes. Jesus' message, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God always starts with grace. In the Gospels, it starts with grace. We have Christmas. God sends His Son. He sends 
Revelation, light, new life, a new creation, regeneration. The gospel is good news. It's beatitude. It is blessing. In the sermon, Jesus is telling us what his expectations are for how we should live in his kingdom. He's, he's announced his kingdom. This is good news of the kingdom of God. And now in this sermon, he's, he's about to tell us some hard sayings and teachings. Things that are tough for us to wrap our heads around. But Jesus, like most of the epistles in the New Testament, starts with a declaration of status. He starts the sermon with, you are blessed. And then he goes on to tell us how that affects what we should do. Because we are blessed, we keep the law. Um, and it's on the basis and in the status of grace that we are to do that. And in fact, unless we understand that, all of salvation is based on grace, it's impossible for us to keep the law. It's impossible for us to do what Jesus is going to tell us to do unless we're doing it out of a heart that is purified because of the salvation that Jesus has given to us and a heart that is grateful for the salvation that God has, has, has done. Because God is saving us and he is giving us gifts in that salvation. He gives us a heart of flesh he gives us forgiveness, he gives us his spirit, he gives us faith, and he gives us perseverance. He blesses us with the eyes that we need to see his truth and the way that his world works. So unless we are first given this gift and we receive it, we cannot then proceed to live in the light of it. And it's only in the light of that knowledge that understanding and wisdom that we can then live blessed lives. Blessed because we see God's handiwork in the world and in our lives despite the fallen condition of both the world and our lives. We see that God is working there even though we are still sinners and even though the world we live in is still broken. But we are blessed because we see God truly saving us. Jesus is enlightening us and telling us what is true and what is real in the Beatitudes. And so what we learned so far is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Humility is foundational. It starts with humility because it puts you in the kingdom of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. The gospel is emotional. God cares about our hurts and he will comfort our souls. Blessed are the meek. Patience is a vital Christian characteristic and it brings the earth as its inheritance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God puts a yearning for justice in his people. He gives them a yearning for justice. And he promises to satisfy that need, that yearning, to fill them with righteousness. And in the meantime, they live in the kingdom and are salt and light spreading his truth and life. 
So, so God, Jesus comes declaring blessing to, to, to the disciples. He says, you are blessed. You are blessed. And, the, and, and as soon as we get done with the Beatitudes, the next thing we're going to study is you are salt and you are light. So we are blessed, and that means because we are blessed, we are in the business of propagating the kingdom. We are spreading the gospel. But we're not done looking at all the blessings that Jesus has given us. We've only covered the first four. So today we're going to be focusing on the fifth and the sixth Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now this, this beatitude flows out of the last one. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice are instrumental in establishing righteousness and justice in the world. Okay? Now remember what I said a couple weeks ago. The beatitudes are a description of the characteristics of the Spirit of God in men. So we have like seven, seven descriptions of the character of the Spirit of God. Poor in spirit, um, uh, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hunger and thirst. And, and so there's seven different uh, characteristics that he lists. And then the eighth beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's the consequences of having the Spirit of God. So, um, there, there, this, but these descriptions of the Spirit of God, they build upon each other. And they're all part of one spirit. They're all part of one kingdom. They're all part of Jesus' gospel. And they build on each other, and they should all be evident in the life of every believer. Uh, we can have a tendency to read through the Beatitudes, especially if we're in a hurry, and we don't take our time and really meditate on them, and read them as descriptions of different kinds of people in the kingdom. You know, well, there's the poor in spirit, and then there's the, the meek, and then there's those who mourn, and then there's the pure in, in heart. But that's not an accurate way of looking at this. Now, it's a grant that we have varying uh, degrees of the grace that God gives in these er different areas that, that Jesus describes. But all of these characteristics will be found in every true believer because we all have the Spirit of God. So we saw how humility was foundational. It, it, sets, it sets the stage. It, it brings you into, you have to humble yourself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have to recognize how you are dependent upon God for salvation. That's foundational. Um, uh, so the poor in spirit are blessed. Then that changes our emotions. That change, blessed are the, those who mourn. It, those emotions are changed because of that humility. And because of our emotions being changed, our, our methods change. Because we mourn, we are meek. Because we uh, hate sin, we're willing to take the hit and be patient and overcome it with good. Um, and that meekness, that patience, gives us the holy desires, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that hunger and thirst for justice, because we see how much pain is inflicted 
when we're do, exercising meekness. Because we're taking the hit. We, know, we want God's righteousness. We want vindication. And now we come to blessed are the merciful. And the merciful are blessed because our mercy should come from our understanding that God is merciful. And it is His mercy which establishes justice and righteousness. So this beatitude flows from our hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. Now there's a lot... In there, I need to unpack that, and that's the point of us going through this beatitude. Um, the merciful are blessed because our mercy should come from our understanding that God is merciful, and it is His mercy which establishes justice and righteousness. Now, in unpacking that, we need to start with the fact that God's love is transformative. God's love is effective. It's effective in changing us. It changes us and it gives us the ability to effect change. So um, let's start with defining what it means to be merciful. At the heart of merciful is mercy. But what is that? Now we have a technical definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So uh, we, when we speak about Christian uh, faith, uh, two key elements are grace and mercy. And the technical distinction between those is grace is getting what you don't deserve. You know, salvation, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's unmerited favor. Um, and mercy is unmerited favor in another sense, in that you're not getting what you do deserve. You do deserve God's just wrath and punishment. And God alleviates that burden from you. He, he, he nails your punishment to Jesus on the cross. That's God's mercy. And so mercy then is, is overlooking a transgression. It is forgiving a debt. It's the mitigation of consequences. Okay, so merciful definitely contains the, 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 the element of forgiveness in it. But but blessed are the merciful, that, it, that, that adjective goes beyond that. It's more than just forgiveness, being a forgiving person. In Proverbs 11, verse 17, we read, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. And so you can see there that we, mercy is juxtaposed with cruelty. They're, they're opposites of each other. Uh, instead of being cruel, the merciful man is, is generous and kind. He's good. He's compassionate. He gives more than is owed. So it's more than just forgiving, it's, 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 but it's, it's forgiving and just generosity, plain and simple. So the merciful then are good, generous, kind, forgiving, and compassionate. Thesaurus is a really useful when you're trying to explain definitions of these things. It's, it gives us a, a, a complete vision or picture of what these words are, what these words mean. So the merciful then are men and women who show the love of God in their dealings with others. 
They display the love of God to their neighbors. They see value in those who are despised and rejected. And this value translates to tangible and visible manifestations. The merciful man is, is identifiable because his works are merciful. What he does is merciful. The merciful are involved in service. We, we call this kind of service mercy ministries. Uh, the merciful give. They extend of themselves in ministry to others. It looks like giving water, food, shelter, and clothing. It looks like teaching and providing for the needs and ministering to those who don't have the capacity or the ability to care for themselves. So the merciful are those who give of themselves. Now, we've defined it, and there's another important aspect of this, this blessing, and that's that it is incremental. Now, there's one aspect of it, it's already not yet. It's incremental. We are already merciful because God's Christ is proclaiming blessing on us. Blessed are the merciful. He's, he's identifying his people as merciful. But, and if it's a blessing to be merciful, it will be better when it's perfected. <laughs> when in glory, or as we are sanctified in this life, as we become more merciful, there's more blessing for us. Um, but it's incremental in another sense, in, in that we, the merciful are in between. They are the recipients of mercy because they are the merciful, because they are Christ's people, because they are in the kingdom of heaven, they've received mercy from God. And so their mercy that they then are, are exercising is, 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 a, is something that is bestowed upon them and then they bestow it on others. So they are in between. So they're recipients of mercy and they're bestowers of mercy and yet still in need of more mercy. So they look forward to it, and that's the reward. The reward of being the merciful, Jesus' explanation of the blessing is that the second half of the beatitude is that those who have mercy can hope for the promise of future mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. They shall obtain mercy. Now in this we see God's ever-growing blessing and spiral of life. God, God, you know, men are traveling. We are travelers. We're on a journey. And as we travel, we're either traveling you know, upwards towards heaven or downwards towards hell. There's, there's only two destinations, ultimately. And, and if you're climbing the mountain of faithfulness, it's, it's, it's blessing upon blessing and, and grace upon grace. But if you're uh, falling, sliding down the slide, or taking the wide path, whatever uh, metaphor you want to use, it, you're, you're going downhill, and, and you, you, you grow in your maturity of your sin. And the, the, as that maturity grows, so does the, the culpability and the consequences of the sin. But here we're looking at God's ever-growing blessing and spiral of life. We're, we're working our way up. 
we, we get grace and we give grace and we are given more grace so that the more we give, the more we get. And the more we get, the more we have to give. And then the more we are faithful with that, he, and, and it's just this growth. Uh, life grows. When we exercise these graces within the constraints that God puts on them, if, if we maintain faithfulness, if we, we, if we keep our sights on Jesus, and we live in accordance with the law, life grows and expands. It's blessing. The gospel spreads. We become springs of living waters. And the righteousness that we are hungering and thirsting for starts to become manifested. We, we, God starts to fill that need. And then, and, and it's just this cycle as you go through this. And he, he, he fills you with this hunger again, and he, and he gives you this faithfulness, and then he gives you this blessing, and you start to get satiated, and then he fills you with more hunger. And it's just, again, the gospel grows. At the same time, as the gospel grows and, uh, and righteousness is manifested, the promise of mercy points to our need for it. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The reward points to our desperate need for mercy. We need mercy. We are sinners, and we fall short of God's holiness. And without mercy, we are lost, and we are sunk. We're done. But if we want hope for grace, if we want the mercy that Jesus promises to us, we must practice the mercy that he commands of us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you want mercy, you must be merciful. And it's, this isn't the only uh, teaching that Christ gives us that's just like this. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He says, with the same measure that you give, it will be given back to you. He says, judge not, lest you be judged. There's a sense of equity in how this works. And God is the one who rewards or punishes. So the reward is mercy. And that's something that's it's a great and desperately needed reward. And that's why we are blessed. So in application, we learn that we must be merciful. That's pretty straightforward. Have compassion. Be merciful. There's blessing in being faithfulness. Um, in fact, Jesus kind of cuts to the quick later on in Matthew. He just says, he's, he's talking to his people and those who are faithful. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, this is when he separated the sheep from the goats. He says, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Mercy receives a reward. And we don't um, find, uh, it is another saying of Jesus, it's, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't find that in the Gospels, but Jesus said it because Luke and Paul told us that Jesus said it in Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So be merciful. The sixth beatitude is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now again, this flows from the last beatitude. Uh, kingdom work. Mercy ministry. Serving those less fortunate. When done faithfully in the spirit of these Beatitudes has a way of confronting the hypocrisies in our own souls. If we are going to be merciful as God is merciful, we will learn purity and holiness. James tells us that pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans in their need. And to keep unspotted from the world. And notice the close connection between mercy and holiness. Mercy and purity. As we become merciful like God, and begin to have an inkling of an understanding of how God sees us, and the depth and breadth of His love, and His mercy for us, we start to drop our guards and open our hearts to his presence. It, it's when we understand God's mercy, the merciful nature of God, that we become like him and exercise mercy. And as we do that, he opens us to the, just the depth and the breadth of his love and his mercy. Now our inability to see God does not is not derived from Distance. It's not because God is not here. The fact that we have difficulty seeing God is not because God is not here. Paul said in his sermon to the Athenians that he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's pretty close. He's right here. God's not hiding from us. The fact that we can't see him is not because he's not manifesting himself. It's our own blinders that we put on. It's the smoke screens that we put up. The, it's the darkness and the haziness and the fuzziness and the confusion of sin. Sin confuses and confounds us. It blocks us. It, it blinds us to the truth and to the light, and to God. Sin is what blocks our view of God. So it's the pure in heart who are blessed because they can see Him. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean? To be pure in heart. It, it's a difficult concept to define when you start thinking about it. Um, 
So let's start with the modifier, and it's an important one, in heart. Here we see that this is an internal or a spiritual matter. Jesus isn't talking about you know, washing the outside of the cup. He's not talking about the trappings of religion or looking good. He's not, he's not talking about the appearance of purity on the outside. He is talking about our hearts, our souls, our essence, our very identities. What we see of as our ourselves. At the very center of our beings, we are to be pure. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be pure? Um, and here again is I've, a bunch of synonyms and antonyms will help us clarify what it means to be pure. Uh, clean, simple, translucent, transparent, true, sincere, genuine, uncomplicated. That's what it means to be pure. To, to be discernible, to be clear. It means not defiant, not hypocritical, not treacherous or false or deceitful. So in our heart of hearts, we are called to be honest, to have integrity. What you see is what you get. The pure in heart are open before God. They rest in Christ and they trust in the gospel for their righteousness and their purity. Because they're humble. This is all, remember humility's foundation. They rest in Christ and they trust in his salvation for that purity. And, and their sins are forgiven. And their guilt is removed. And their lives then are holy because they are sincere in their faith before God. And it's, it's, it's a little bit ironic that the pure in heart are open before God because what's ironic about that is we are all an open book before God. The sin... The, the smoke screens, the confusion, the deceit, the lies, all of that never tricked God for a second. He sees right through it, and he sees it exactly for what it is. But it's only in the state of purity that we can see God, and because that is the reward of purity, but it's also... God's grace. It's also God's grace. It's God's grace because if it, um, if if we were not pure, we would be completely consumed in the vision of God. Like the, the Bible tells us, no one can see God and live. But every time we have an example of, of in the scriptures of somebody asking to see God or being given a vision of God, it, they're completely undone. 
And yet this is the reward for the pure in heart. So that's their reward. It's the, the beatific vision. That, that means a heavenly or it's the glorious vision. They shall see God. Now, what does that mean to see God? And this is important because this is perhaps the essence of what it means to be human. What God created us for was to see him. Um, the Westminster Catechism's first question is, is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Pretty straightforward. That's what it is to see God. You cannot see God and not glorify Him. And God's aim, His end, His purpose for creating us is, is for us to see Him, enjoy Him forever. To glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. But we get so caught up in ourselves, in the world that we live in, that we can lose sight of this. Um, every um, representation of, of, of man seeing God in the scriptures is momentous. It's really astounding it, it, when you go through the scriptures and look at what happens when men see God. Yet Moses asks to see God, and God puts him in a crack on the mountain and puts his hand over him, and he says, I'll only let you see the back of my, see my back. And the result is his face is shiny for 40 days and longer. He's got to wear a veil. Uh, Elijah, God puts him in a cave. But then when Elijah comes to the front of the cave, when he hears the still small face, he has to wrap his face with his mantle because he can't behold God. God is that holy, that awesome. Even the messengers of God, when God goes through intermediaries, the angels, they're received with fear and awe and worship. But the whole point of the scriptures, the whole chief end of man, is to introduce us to God. To introduce us to Him. Jesus tells us here that we shall see Him. And the prerequisite is integrity. In purity and holiness, we can behold God. And when we do, we will be overcome with love and worship for Him. So, application, have integrity. Be honest. Be honest with God. Open your heart to Him. And this is perhaps obvious because what I said before is true. We know that God sees right through us. We, we know, if we know our Bibles, we know that we can't, we can't you know, slip a fast one past Him. But because we can get caught up in ourselves, this can become a snare. So we have to be obvious. Be honest with God. Don't belittle your own sin or deny it. I mean, we have the prophet Isaiah appearing before God when he was called to the ministry. And... He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. Here's a prophet of God declaring his own inadequacy. Don't belittle your sin or deny it before God. He knows your thoughts and your heart better than you do. Be honest. 
Don't magnify your own goodness. Don't say, look how good I am, or look at all these things that I did. He knows that we are all nothing, and all the good that we've ever done has all been a graceful gift from Him. And in and of ourselves, we would not have done it. So don't belittle your sin, don't magnify your goodness, but do confess your sin and do repent of it before Him. Be honest. Have integrity. Do bring your heart's wants and desires to Him. Be honest with Him. Tell Him what you want. Tell Him what you desire. Jesus tells us, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. So pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray in season and out of season. Pray without ceasing. Be honest before God. Speak your heart to Him. Next, have integrity and be honest with yourself. Learn to see clearly. Learn to, to distrust your own vision. Now that's, that's tricky right there. But be humble. Accept wisdom and seek counsel. You know, measure yourself up against God's word. You know, read the Bible. Pray about it. Go to your kids, go to your parents and ask for guidance in, in understanding yourself. Hear what they say. God gives us authority figures to help instruct us and teach us and lead us, as Greg was talking about in discipline this morning. He gives those are gifts for us to learn to know ourselves. So be honest with yourself and seek counsel. Go, go to your, your family, your parents, your pastor, your elders. If you are having difficulty discerning wisdom, seek counsel. But be honest with yourself. Don't just bluster and say, oh, I know, I've got it all figured out. I know, I know how everything works. Because that sets you up for uh, disaster, actually. So question your motives and be discerning and critical. And then the other part of this in being honest with yourself is learning your own heart's desires. Learning, learning what you want in, in, your, in your heart of hearts. What is it you want? God gives us our own desires. He gives us our own wants. But, and those desires are gifts from God. We can feel really tremendously fulfilled when, when he gives us our heart's desire. But there's always two sides to them. So we need to learn our heart's desires so we can be honest with ourselves about what it is that we want, but then pursue it in integrity and righteousness and purity of heart. Pursue your desires, but know what they are so that you can know your tendencies, know your failings in those desires, and maintain purity. And finally, be, have integrity and be honest with others. Be honest with others. Now this is a Christian duty. But it needs to be said. The first two commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Love of neighbor is honest. So be a witness in your integrity. 
And if you're in, if you have integrity, then you can you will, you are faithful and you are trustworthy. People will will hear what you have to say, or they will learn from your example, and you will be a witness. And of all in in all of this, there's blessing for you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And He will fill your yearning for purity. He, he, will, he will give you just this magnificent vision for what his goal is. The beatific vision. You will see God. And, and that's hard to wrap your head around. But just keep going back to the examples in Scripture of what happens when we see God. We are undone. Gloriously. Beautifully. Wonderfully undone. Filled with an awe and a love for him and what he is doing. For the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In both of these beatitudes, we learn something valuable about God and about Jesus. They love us. They love us. These are blessings because they are like our God. God is molding us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he does this by revealing who he is. In creation, in the Bible, and in Jesus Christ. And revealing what he is like in the Beatitudes, in the Scriptures, and in other believers. And by revealing what he wants and expects us to, sorry, and by revealing what he wants and expects us to participate in this. So he tells us what it is he wants and what he expects from us in order for us to participate in him. And what he expects is regular worship and participation in the sacraments. The gospel is grace from beginning to end. In Christ, God shows us mercy and reveals himself. And the blessings of the Beatitudes are ours in Christ. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.